Hello and welcome to the City of Charlottetown Presents Podcasts for Seniors. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with, with Julie Pelsier-Lesch, Knowledge Keeper with the Lunier and also PEI's first Mi'kmaq Poet Laureate. Welcome, Julie. What does it mean to be a Knowledge Keeper? For me, a knowledge keeper is honestly a practicing elder. It means that I don't have the actual years or knowledge yet to be an elder, but it means that I am practicing, actively practicing. I mean, meeting with elders whenever I can, uh, dealing with decision makers, hearing the stories, learning the teachings. So I'm a, a practicing elder, which means I do hold the knowledge, but until I get to a point in my life where people start acknowledging my me as an elder, then you cross over from being a knowledge keeper to an elder. And I am I'm very proud of that title because it means that I'm really actively working at learning the teaching, the lesson, the story, the language, the culture so that I can pass it down and try to do it in its best way possible. Wonderful answer. Um, what does it mean to you to be a Mi'kmaq? To me, to be Mi'kmaq is something that makes me so proud. I had a hard time when I was younger being Indigenous at all. I, I grew up, most of my formative years were Ontario and Manitoba. And so even when I would self-identify as being Indigenous, it always opened the doors to, well, what kind of Indigenous? And I would say Mi'kmaq, and they'd say, oh, they belong on the East Coast. Why are you here? So no matter where I went, it was often really difficult to be who I am inside. But over time, and moving back to PEI, moving back to the island, reconnecting with my culture, reconnecting with my family, it gives me so much pride to be able to to work towards different kinds of reconciliation, whether it means going into the schools, to elementary, to middle, to high school, to UPEI, to Holland College. To be able to share some of our stories, it really gives me a sense of pride because you don't know what you have until you don't have it. And I have been to that spot where I didn't have those connections. So having them now and having them when I'm back, it was something that made me even appreciate it more. For somebody who maybe has always lived here and always had those connections, they might not have that feeling. But for me, myself, for me, it gives me such a strong sense of pride to know that I can trace my family line back almost a millennium. And if we had that opportunity and that access to that information, I would be able to do that. But I know that we were here for a very, very long time. And it gives me such pride to know that even with everything that's happened, we're still here. Excellent. So tell me, what is the meaning of uh, epicway? Epicway means cradle in the waves. And I've heard that there's a few other uh, definitions of it. It just depends on what uh, what lexicon you're using. Like we have uh, the Smith Francis, which is the one that we use here in PEI. Uh, there's Pacifica, um, and that's a different. It's all Mi'kmaq. It's just different versions of it. It's like saying there's Canada, 
And then there's uh, when you're going to Newfoundland, for instance, it might not exactly sound the same, the same words that you would say if you were in Manitoba or if you were in Ontario. It's just different dialects of the same root language. Um, so for me, it means cradle in the leaves. And it really such a beautiful description of the creation story that I heard of Abbott being that the creator took a red piece of clay and he molded it and shaped it and fell in love with it and placed it here in the waters of the St. Lawrence for us to have a corporate tone for the Mi'kmaq people when it was first created. And, and that's just part of our creation story. So when you think of Abigail, um, we are the district of Abigail Picto. Uh, when you think geographically of uh, a map of long ago, that was our district. Hmm. And the word Abigail, it's, it's sounds so beautiful. I went up to Cavendish recently and got to see uh, Green Gables Interpretation Center. And there's one panel with all that beautiful myths and history where it says, uh, and whispery whispers that it should have kept the name off of it because it's so much more romantic and so much more beautiful than Prince Edward Island. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. I think it uh, it probably, that that could be said uh, for a lot of uh, regions in Canada. So tell me, uh, what is the meaning of Alunue? Alunue is for the people, and because Ilnu means the people, um, and Ilnue is for the people, and this is where I work here. We are a treaty rights-based organization, and my function as a knowledge keeper is to help work with community and help work with our engagement officers and get our two First Nations communities here on PEI, um, more knowledge about the wording of the treaties, because if anybody knows anything about government lingo, it can be way up there. And really, you know, uh, if, unless you are a lawyer, you will not understand it. So being able to take the, the legal words in treaties and bring it back to community so that they have an understanding of what each of these things mean and be able to move forward with our two communities together when fighting for our treaty right. So we are working with the people to help for the people to move forward together in a really good way and not to be just sort of driven from the top. It's where we driven from the community. So every treaty right that is worked on will have the support of the two first nations communities. So really proud to have just even a small part of the work that's being done here to make sure that, you know, the people are aware of what this means. And I had an opportunity at the beginning to work on different parts of it. And some of it is just simple as who we as the people find who is Mi'kmaq. And it's amazing the different results that came back for me to that simple question. But it defines us instead of allowing the government to define who we are and allows us as people to define who we are. Excellent. So can you tell me about Alunue's uh, mandate? The mandate of Alunue really is to work for the people, to, to bring them into 
uh, negotiations, high-level negotiations, and so that they're all on board. So the mandate, it really, it started out, I think it was a few years before I even knew back CEI, where the Mi'kmaq Confederacy, the idea of the Tribal Council, the Mi'kmaq Confederacy was born. And it is more of a um, frontline uh, for the people's organization. They have a justice program, a health program, um, child and family, like an employment program. There's so many different programs that are sort of outwardly reaching to the two first nation on and off reserve to be able to help them. Um, and then it was just a few years later that the idea of just having one organization specifically designed for uh, land inquiries. Uh, we have our ethics committee here uh, for different proposals that are going through and to work on the dreams. And so I think that's the biggest part of our mandate is to be able to work. So leadership is our two chiefs and their councils and the two executive directors. So the executive director of Formula Mac Confederacy and the executive director of Formula. And they're the ones who lead the way in terms of any decisions that are made. Okay. So what is Alnaway's responsibilities? What are they responsible for? We are responsible for working through the treaties and hoping that we can I don't even know if it's plausible, but hopefully one day that we'll be able to be self sufficient. We will be able to um, move away from the Indian Act and the government sort of stipulations and regulations that they have towards that. But honestly, I see that we are here for people to to work with the people to find out what they want and to always use the seven sacred teachings as a way of moving forward, knowing that every decision that we make. We have to think of how it will affect seven generations after us, right? What is the relationship between Launue and Mi'kmaq Confederacy of PEI? The relationship is that we are both sort of working under the, the leadership, the directors, like I said, they're the two chiefs and council, two executive directors. So one of us is more outwards uh, in terms of services being offered and one of us is more moving towards the future. Um, we both uh, have mandates that have been set by the two chiefs and council and we all are working for the two first nations here. Yeah. Can you tell me some of the work you do educating people about Mi'kmaq peoples and their history? Oh my goodness, I have so much fun. That is, it's, some days I have to pinch myself that I was so fortunate to be able to be a storyteller and be able to, to use that skill to go into the school, to go into, into organizations, into companies, into businesses with the newcomers, um, to be able to share the stories and teachings that I learned and put on different workshops. Um, I've been working with UPEI, putting on different workshops for their continuing education program. I've been working with schools. I even go into the summer school program and do little workshops for the youth that are 
are going into the summer school, and I hope it sort of brightens their day when I'm getting them to sing with me in Mi'kmaq, to learn some Mi'kmaq words, to, to be able to, to realize, because the best and the most amazing thing about stories is that it showcases and people take away that there is more similarities, little differences, in, in the things that we believe. I mean, one of our stories is about um, a little boy who is lost in the woods and he gets raised by bears and we are given a bunch of teachings around the story. But in fact, when, when you look at the larger world and you hear about, you know, locally, Jungle Book, like it's very, very similar. Um, we have stories about a young girl who is, you know, the, her sisters are very, very cruel to her. But she ends up uh, marrying the handful brave. And it's very, very similar to Cinderella. Those universal themes in the stories that I like to share that show people, like I said, that there's way more similarity to our in, in our worldview, how we see the world, how, how we raise our children. I mean, there's some things that are just universal. When you see the similarities, I think that in itself is one step in reconciliation. So what are the seven sacred teachings? The seven sacred teachings here in Mi'kmaq start in the East. Uh, we usually start with love. Uh, love is given to us by the eagle. And the eagle has so many beautiful teachings. And usually my... The whole workshop on seven sacred teachings can take about two hours, so I'll summarize. <laughs> yes, please. Much as I can. <laughs> well, the eagle is love, being able to love yourself and to love others. And sometimes that means loving somebody with the expectation that that love will be returned. You're just loving because that's what we are supposed to do. The seven sacred teachings were actually created. What I've heard the story is, that we were living on a sea of ice here in North America. The ice was still here, and we would follow the migrating animals. And then we all ended up in different places all over Turtle Island. And then we sent the elders out to go and look at nature and to figure out all those teachings that we needed to be good people in our own skin, good people in our family units, in our communities, and in our nation. So these elders went and they brought back hundreds and hundreds of teachings from nature. And we sort of boiled them down to seven sacred teachings. And teachings that if you were in BC might be slightly different, might use the animals that are more BC. Or if you were in Manitoba, you would use these kind of animals. And here in the Atlantic, we have our own. So it's sort of adapted to everybody. So all over Turtle Island, everybody uses this and adapts it to what they need it to be. But I think love and the evil and sort of universal, it goes everywhere and it goes out to everywhere. And then we go down to the west. So we have the eagle. And then I think it is humility. And the humility is given to us by the wolf. If you are in BC, instead of a wolf, I've heard that it's an ant. Get up and you think of the whole group. You don't just think about yourself. You think of the whole group and you work your way in a good way with that knowledge. Um, 
when they've seen our community, they realize that they had to have a teaching that let us know how important it is that we look after each other. And I honestly believe in some small way it became the focus of the mobility left occurring, right? The residential school, it really became mobility left occurring. You know, all this lookouts for everybody. When you're a wolf and you're living in a pack, that's traditionally how you would live. Everybody has support. Everybody is working for the betterment of the whole group. Well, sometimes in the teachings of it, it means just because you can do something doesn't mean you should always be the one giving it. You need to allow other people to develop and grow and showcase what they can do. So sometimes it means giving up something you want for the betterment as the whole group. And you see that a lot more. I think it's demonstrated a lot more in um, sports team. I mean, everything about a sports team is about winning. And so everything is not about, oh, I really like to run, so let me do the running. No, if this person can run a little faster, it's the betterment of the group, right? A whole group, not just one individual. So that was that teaching. And then we go to the West. And the West, I believe, in blue is respect. Respect is respecting ourselves and the decisions that we make, respecting others, even if it's not being given back. When it's respecting others, when they are showing respect to us when we are at our wars. It's really a difficult, challenging one, one that people will work on for the majority of their lives to try to get that one right. And respect is also realizing that, you know, we have to respect nature. We're not in a situation where our colonial mindset seems to always be in that pyramid where there's somebody at the top and a masses at the bottom. In indigenous spirituality, it's a circle. Everybody is equal. There's nobody greater than, but there's also nobody less than. And that includes nature, that includes the animals around us. That doesn't mean that we think a moose is a person in a, in a moose body. We actually think that a moose has a spirit or a soul like ours. They can experience love, they can experience heartache. And because they have a soul like us, we have to treat them equally. It doesn't mean we're better than them because we're human. It means we're equal because we have the same spirit. Just like the trees, just like the water, the air around us, it has soul. And then we move up to the north, and up to the north is the bear. The bear's courage. And in courage, we learn how to say those hard truth that are not easy to talk about when we're talking about residential school or the missing and murder indigenous women girls who choose spirited sometimes those are not easy conversations to have with people and it is actually much easier not to say anything and just to be quiet courage means doing something just because it's the right thing to do even if you're the one you believe in the right thing to do. You have to trust yourself, right? I love that one. I, I think that is it's so it's so honest and it's so true. Now I think the next 
one is wisdom. Because the next one is up. Now, because there's seven directions, so east, south, west, north, up, down, east. So up, I do believe, is wisdom. So wisdom is the teaching that is gifted to us by the turtle. Now, the elder who went out and was looking for the teachings from nature, he must have been by a swamp or something. Because he's seen a number of turtles coming in and out of the water. And he realized that every turtle had 28 markings on the outside of their shell, 13 markings on the inside. We knew there had to be a reason. The creator wouldn't do this purposely for no reason. And they actually realized that 13 meant something. It meant that there was 13 moons in a span of turn. Between those 13 moons, there's 28 days. We were able to figure it ourselves out on the calendar. We created one of the more the, the oldest calendars that ever was because we were able to place ourselves in time because of the gift of the Creator giving us the turtle. We were able to name each of those 13 moons, and May is actually broad broken time. So if you're driving on any of the side roads by a swamp, you'll hear the little peepers almost humming yeah. as you drive by. Those are the little peepers. We had them way, way, way back when. So we knew that it's from croaking time when that moon was coming in. And 13 moons. So the truth is being true to yourself and being true to others. So saying the truth, even when it's hard. So then we go down. And that one is for Mother Earth. The, the Mother Earth under our feet, the germinator of all of our seeds. And this was given to us by the beaver. Now, the beaver, when he was created, the creator gifted the beaver with his two front teeth that were strong. Strong enough to be able to cut down trees, uh, make his winter lodge, defend his family. And I think the elder, when he was watching, and as you know, beavers are very, very busy. This is little beaver. Um, he thought, what if one day that beaver decided to sit in the fern, look up the sun, and not do anything? And the day became another day and another day. What would he do? Well, those teeth would keep on growing. And eventually, he wouldn't be able to use the gift to create his gate home. So the elder realized the truth and this teaching is that every one of us given a beautiful gift. We have to figure out what it is. We have to continue to use them so that we have these gifts to pass along and to keep sharing. My gift, I know, I've learned that it's storytelling, being able to share our story in a really good way and to be able to share our teaching. And if at one point I didn't know that, I think there would be something missing in my heart and it probably wouldn't kill me like it would a beaver who likes their people too long. But I think I would feel that something is missing or it has to look full. And when I do this workshop with uh, younger kids, I always say, if you don't know what your gifts are, ask someone who loves you. 
because they will know what makes your eyes light up when you talk about it. They will know what makes your heart sing when you feel something passionately. They will know exactly what your gifts are and they can help you find out what it is. Once you find out what it is, you need to use it. You need to work and develop it. Just like that poor beaver has to use his teeth each and every day. Otherwise, he won't be able to just survive. The last one, because we've gone east, south, west, north, up, down, last one, in. And in is given to us by Sabe. And it is honesty. Being honest with yourself, about yourself, about your intention, being honest with others. And it is given to us by the Sabe. Now, the Sabe, S-A-B-E, in if you look at all the descriptions that have been passed on from generation to generation, it looks like sleep. And, and whenever I do this presentation with kids, they always laugh and I say, well, have you all heard about Bigfoot? And they'll all say, yes, we've heard about Bigfoot. And every once in a while on Facebook, I'll see a post that says, geez, I haven't heard about Bigfoot in a while. I wonder how he's doing. It is just common knowledge that there is a creature that lives in the woods by himself. Maybe there's a couple, but there, there's at least one. And, and that's, you know, once in a while, people start talking about maybe having seen people. So I think the elder who was in charge of trying to find a teaching to bring back, I think this is more about spirituality or faith, believing in the thing that we can't see with our eyes, touch with our hands, what we know in our hearts is real. And this isn't just contained to indigenous culture. I mean, as soon as I start talking about a little guy with an orange curly beard, a green top hat, and little green buckle shoes, instantly, although probably nobody's ever seen one, they'll see a itty bitty little leprechaun in their mind's eye. And that's another creature that probably very, very few, if any, have seen. We all believe in it. We all know the story of the leprechaun or the little fairies or the little pigs. Every culture has a creature that, even though probably very few or if any have seen them, we all believe in them because we know in our heart that it's real. For me, believing my ancestors are always here beside me, guiding me, and helping me move forward in a really good way. So what it means to me is, even though I can't tell you exactly where my ancestors are, I won't be able to see them with my eyes or feel them with my hands. I know in my heart that they're around me, they're guiding me, they'll make sure, make sure that I'm saying something and maybe saying something that somebody is there might need to hear. So I know that they're guiding and they're helping me and they're leading me, even though I can't show you exactly where they are. Or I can't show you, you know, you can't shake hands with them. But I know in my heart that they do. I think that one deals a little bit more about our spirituality or faith, whichever one. I mean, it works for everyone. Every culture I think that I've been studying and doing the research on has some form creature just like that. Excellent. That uh, that that's just a, a wonderful story. Well, there's the whole story, but all those individual <laughs> stories are just wonderful. 
Um, so um, what does it mean to be an ally of the Mi'kmaq community and what are some of the tips for us to be good allies? I think one of the biggest tips that I've been hearing in the works that I do is taking the time to learn stories because these are a lot of things you would not have heard in school. Not one of those things that you would read in a newspaper. But our, our stories are alive and they're, they're coming back stronger with our next generation. And every generation seems to get a little bit stronger and wanting to share. I mean, we had these stories of residential schools for so many years and nobody, you know, it wasn't a real thing until May 2021. Or 215 were bodies up on beyond Mark Freeze were discovered in Kendall's sea. Now people believe the stories that have been shared for a very long time. So opening your heart, listening with your ears, using your eyes to see the truth, to hear the stories, to be an ally, to know that, you know, my biggest thing whenever I do something, I always say, you know, we're not looking to be better. We're looking to be treated equal. Equal. And, and just to get to that level would be amazing. To know that our stories are being shared equally with everybody else. To know that we're going to get opportunities that are deserving and equal like everybody else. We're going to have and I have to say that I see, I don't think 20 years from before now, I would be having the opportunity to share my stories with you. But every year, things keep getting better. We have more allies, people who want to hear our stories, people who want to hear our voices, people that want to learn more, boy online and typing in the seven sacred teachings or, or typing in you know, traditional place names on Pentadrid Island, and you can see maps on the Illinois site with all the new place names. Doesn't mean we're changing the name. Just means we're acknowledged, acknowledging every place, every pathway, every roadway, every community had been used by the Mayflower town and memorial. So doesn't mean that those little brown signs that you'll see as you're driving around Prince Edward Island doesn't mean we're changing the names of places, but we're acknowledging for they has a different name. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is a way for us to move forward in a good way as equals and to have the 94 calls to action being looked at and worked upon by government. One of my favorite calls to action, the one that always comes to my mind when I think of them, is making sure that our language is protected and will pass along to the next generation. And one of the recommendations was that they preserve indigenous languages all across Canada by making it not just English and French, but having indigenous languages of each area as long as they be recognized, which means once it's recognized, they have to protect it. They have to encourage the learning of it. My family, my sister, and MCVEI and Illinois, I think they were all invited 
to fly across the water and go to New Zealand and meet the, uh, the indigenous uh, elders there. And as their flight was getting closer to New Zealand, all the screens sort of flipped and said that uh, the indigenous welcome were there on the screen. And that's how everybody welcomes everybody there as they use their indigenous language there. They have had so many more years to work on concretely to preserve their indigeneity, to preserve their language, to preserve their culture. And it was amazing to hear some of the stories that came back and, and how they, they lived. And see little tiny bits of it every now and then. I was walking to do a presentation in the Confederation Center of the Arts. I was walking along Victoria Row, and the lady saw me. She was riding her bike, and she stopped, and she went, Why? And I was like, oh, my heart almost exploded. I was like, she must have seen me do a presentation at some point in time or another, and I always start with, you know, Guay, Jalasi, that means hello and welcome. And she must have remembered it, and she seen me, and instantly it was like, Guay. And I thought, Reconciliation means like an acknowledgement of who we are and establishing that, you know, we're not better or less than anybody. We're all equal. As our teachings and our spirituality have all sort of led us to. Wonderful. I love that story. We're both the, the lady. <laughs> uh, what is on land acknowledgement and when should they be used? This is a definitely a new thing in the last couple of years that has been growing strength. And only has been working with the leadership to create uh, a beautiful and comprehensive land acknowledgement. And it changes every couple of months, so add or delete or, you know, something. And I've actually went and done a presentation specifically on land acknowledgement. And what does that mean? I think it is the first sort of stepping stone of reconciliation is acknowledging that we are here. And we have this here on Planet Memorial. And you should use it when you are using it in a good way. And it's not just a word. It has to be an action that you're undertaking to work towards reconciliation. It isn't just, you know, you have to do housekeeping when you're doing an opening. So it isn't just, you know, I would like to welcome you in peace and friendship to the unceded territory of Mi'kma'ki. It's bigger than that. It also means that you're recognizing that we have been here for a very long time. And I always say it's only the stepping stone. I always say I would love to see that after you start and get comfortable using the land acknowledgement, maybe put it up in a frame somewhere in your building so that it takes it to that next step. And what's the next step? I'm not exactly sure what that is, but I know that it is a process. And that, I think, is sort of the first stepping stone to that process is that acknowledgement. I always say when I do different presentations, I say if your workplace, you know, if you want to talk about inclusion, 
look around your workplace and if there isn't any indigenous people there, the next step is why? And if you need help, you reach out to somebody like myself or somebody like Chief First Nations Chiefs or Council and say what you can do to do more inclusive hiring. What can you do to have committees or boards to be more inclusive, to have those voices? That's where the real change is at, is where the people are making the decision, where there's positions of power to have the Indigenous voice present at those tables to you. Well, we have come to the end of our time, uh, but before we go, is there anything that you'd like to add that we haven't covered? Oh my goodness, I'm just very thankful and grateful to have this opportunity to share some stories, to share this time together, and that I hope that my ancestors have guided me in the right way and that you have heard something that you might have not known that you needed to hear. But And just remember the seven sacred teachings, they're not all going to resonate with you, but maybe one or two of them will, and you take that with you as a as a gift, as a teaching, and be able to use it to move forward through the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the year, the rest of a few years. But just make sure that you know the most important thing is that you've enjoyed it and learned and that you've had fun together sharing this amazing time. Well, Julia, I can tell you that I have enjoyed our time together, and I thank you so much for, uh, for uh, teaching us and being with us today. Thank you so much, my friend. And we will see each other again soon because we don't like saying goodbye. We say the Maltus until we meet again. The Maltus. The Maltus. You've been listening to our interview with Julie Pelsier Lesch, Knowledge Keeper with the Lune and also PEI's first Mi'kmaq Poet Laureate. Thanks for joining us here on the City of Charlottetown Presents Podcast for Seniors. And we hope you come back for our next information session.